Amen. You may be seated. It's good to worship with you guys this morning. We are going to be in a new series today called Who Can Be Against Us? We're going to be covering the eighth chapter of the book of Romans for the next few weeks. And if we're going to be covering this, we need to kind of figure out what's taking place. Why was this written? Who is this being written to? And so when it comes to the book of Romans, what you need to know is that the Jews were kicked out of Rome by Emperor Claudius. And this took place over a five-year period of time. So the Jews are kicked out. These Jews that were still waiting on the Messiah, like they are today. These Jews that believed that the Messiah had already come in Jesus. These Jews that converted into following Jesus, that became a part of the way, and started worshiping with these Gentiles. So the Jews are kicked out of Rome by Emperor Claudius. And so They are worshiping elsewhere, and then the people still in Rome, the believers still in Rome, are worshiping. And because there is no Jewish presence, there is no customs and cultures that they are bringing into the church, worship starts to look different. And so then Emperor Claudius, after the five years, allows the Jews to come back to Rome. They come back in. They join into the same bodies of the churches of worship that they were worshiping with, and things have changed a lot. Think about how much changed just during a year and a half of the coronavirus, right? Everything is completely different now. Now think if we were to separate our congregation into two groups, do worship completely separate, half of you guys go with Jacob, half of you guys go with me, when we come back together, things are going to look a lot different, okay? A lot of you guys are going to have really nice hair, and if you join me, you're probably going to have a lot less. I don't know if that's how it works, but Jacob's got great hair, so maybe it is. So they come back together, and there is a major lack of unity in the church. And so Paul is writing this letter to the church in Rome to say, hey, you guys are coming back together. Now it is time to come together in Jesus and be unified. All these things that you have done separately, all these things you've done apart, you need to put those aside, and you need to focus on the basics. Focus on the core truth of Jesus. And so Paul seeks to bring unity between these former Jews and these Gentiles in the church. And so when we're looking at this entire letter of the book of Romans, what the book of Romans, what this letter of Romans is, is the gospel. It's God's judging and saving righteousness found in the gospel of Jesus. It is Jesus on the cross, and it is God's judging and judgment of sin and how ultimately he shows mercy to us. So we are going to be in chapter 8 of the book of Romans over the next few weeks. Over the next two to three weeks, we're going to be in verses 1 through 17. And so if you're trying to dial in your Bible study, your devotional time during the week, join me there. Romans 8 verses 1 through 17. And in this, we will see that in Jesus, we have life and we have life in the Spirit. What you have to realize is that Jesus died on the cross He dealt with sin. He dealt with death. He dealt with the enemy. And three days later, he rose again from the grave, having victory over all of those things. And he was present on earth with his disciples, and he made himself known to over 500 people over the span of 40 days after he was resurrected. And then right before he goes up into heaven, he tells his boys, guess what? I got something coming for you. You're going to do even greater things than me because the person who is coming to live inside you is going to be a gift, is going to change the game for you. And at Pentecost, what do we see? We see the Holy Spirit take place and fall upon believers. And today, when we put our trust in Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. So it is no longer in us. So we will be talking about what life looks like in the Spirit. 
And then verses 18 through 39, we're going to be talking about an assurance of hope. We are living in hopeless times. I don't care if you watch Fox News. I don't care if you watch CNN. Anywhere on that spectrum, there's hopelessness that we are surrounded by. And we have hope in Jesus. And so we're going to look at what really grabbing hold of that looks like. So why do we need Romans 8? Why do we need to be studying this as a church? I think for a lot of us, this is a huge doctrinal, theological cornerstone that will clear a lot of things up for us. This is where we find a lot of our beliefs. This is where the gospel is presented in detail and in full. It's an incredible account from the Apostle Paul. And I think there are a lot of us in here, so we may be on the one side of the spectrum of we need that cornerstone, we need that foundation, we need to figure out what Jesus is all about, just exactly what Jesus did for us, dying on the cross for our sin. And then there's another side of the spectrum of believers in here. We've been following Jesus for a long time, and maybe we feel stuck. And I think if this is you, what the book of Romans, and especially what Romans 8 will do for you is say, hey, here is what is next. Here is what life in the Spirit looks like. If you feel stuck, if you feel like there hasn't been growth, life in the Spirit brings growth. And in dark times, we need hope. And so as a church, we don't find our hopes in a political system. We don't find our hopes in a city system. We don't find our hopes in how much we're bringing in, and how much security we can build up. We find our hope in King Jesus and in King Jesus alone. So I am excited to introduce this series to us as a church. It's going to be fun teaching through Romans 8 over the next few weeks. But today, today starts us off strong. And so if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. very first point this morning. We're starting off with a point right away. You are not condemned. Come on. You are not condemned. Romans 8 verse 1, therefore, I mean sorry, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Church, that is freedom right there. We should be super excited about that. We are no longer condemned because of who we are in Jesus Christ. Anytime there is a therefore in Scripture, if we're breaking this down, if we're studying this, we need to ask what is the therefore, therefore. And so, what is the therefore, therefore? We are going to look back to chapter 7. In chapter 7, verse 6, it says, but now we are released from the law. This is the therefore. Now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And so you are not condemned. The old law does not condemn you anymore. The old law is the law that God gave to his people, and that was supposed to point out sin in life. That was supposed to steer away from sin. It was supposed to be a guardrail to keep people from death and destruction, and as we will see in our flesh, we went the wrong way within that. If we are no longer condemned, that means that we have life in the Spirit. If we are no longer condemned, that means that you are no longer condemned in your marriage. That means that you are no longer condemned in your parenting. 
That means that you are no longer condemned in your friendships. That means that you are no longer condemned in the workplace. That means that you are no longer condemned at school. And that means that you are no longer condemned in your families, in your peer groups, in the places that you find yourself. So I don't know what you came in here thinking about yourself this morning, but if it was, I am who I used to be and I am in Jesus now, I want you to know that that is a lie. You are not who you used to be if you are in Jesus. You are no longer condemned. So Get that dirt off your shoulder, as the great prophet Jay-Z said. That's a joke. If you're under 35, you're, you're tracking. If you're over, you're like, I don't know. Is that an extra book in the Bible? I'm not sure. So, if we are no longer condemned, that means that we can move forward. When we are condemned, when we view ourselves as condemned, rather we have whether we have gone to Jesus, entered into a relationship with him, that means we are no longer condemned. So why do we allow condemnation? Why do we allow lies about ourselves that we tell ourselves, we allow other people to tell ourselves to hold us back? We're no longer condemned. Do not let condemnation hold you back from the life, from the will that God has ahead of you. And that life and that will may be hard. We know that as believers, There's going to be some suffering that takes place, but we know if we are in the will of God that he has our back. We know that we are filled with the Spirit, and we know that the presence of Jesus is right there with us. And so if we are no longer held back by condemnation, we are moving forward in the will of God, and we are operating in the Spirit, what does the life ahead of you look like? Think of who you came in here thinking yourself to be. Think of the condemnation that is in your life right now. And now shake it off. Get rid of it. If you're in Jesus, you can do that. If you haven't entered into a relationship with Jesus, then that hasn't happened for you yet. But if you are in Jesus this morning, you are no longer condemned. What is the life ahead of you outside of that condemnation, not being weighted down by that anymore? What does that look like? Point two, you are set free. You are set free. Romans 8, 2 through 4. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so it is in this we see that liberation joins no condemnation. We have been liberated because we are no longer condemned, and we have been set free. We have been set free by the work of Jesus, but what have we been set free from? We have to answer that question first, and that is the law of sin and death. We touched on it just a little bit already. So, again, the law was intended to guide away from sin, to guide away from death, but because we're messed up people, because God's people were messed up people, what it did instead was it caused death, it caused destruction, it caused sin, and it provoked it. So, there's only two ways into heaven. The first way is to be absolutely perfect, okay? Anybody in here absolutely perfect? Absolutely not. That's good. 
A perfect church is a church full of people that have a lying problem, so that's good. <laughs> We're being honest with ourselves this morning. So the first way into heaven is to be absolutely perfect under the law. What is the law? What is this law that was supposed to bring life but instead brought sin and death? That is 613 laws, 613 codes that these Jewish people, that God's people were supposed to live by. You know what happens if you break one of those? You're guilty. There's no innocence in you. You might as well break them all. And later on we go to find out that if you break one of these things, you break them all. You ever heard of the Ten Commandments? It's that really cool TV show that comes on around Christmas and Easter and maybe Thanksgiving. Maybe it's just one of those. I can't remember. The Ten Commandments are part of those 613 laws. And if I were to walk myself through the Ten Commandments right now in front of you, I would be guilty of breaking every single one of those. So I'm not perfect under the law. That means I'm not good enough to get into heaven. I can't earn my way into heaven by doing good deeds and moral works and trying to just white knuckle it. So the second way that we get into heaven is have somebody that is perfect die in our place. And we see that in verses 3 and 4. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he sent Jesus fully man and fully God. Fully man means he was fully flesh. He had the same human experience that I have. He has the same human experience that you have. And in his perfectness, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement, this, perfect, this requirement of perfection of the law might be fulfilled in who? In us. Jesus fulfills it, and it is fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh anymore in Jesus, but in the Spirit. So we need someone to be that perfect sacrifice, someone to take that place that we deserved on the cross. Jesus not only fulfilled every single one of those law, laws, 613 of them, he lived a perfect life. That means not a single one of them were broken, but he also fulfilled every prophecy made about him. He overcame the flesh. He defeated sin and death and the enemy when he took that to the cross for my sake, for your sake, for the sake of the people then and for the sake of the people to come that will enter into relationship with him. And in doing so, in raising from the dead three days later, having victory over that, we receive his righteousness. There was no righteousness for us to say that we had. Our bank accounts were negative When it came to righteousness, they were in the red. But what Jesus did when he died on the cross for me, when he died on the cross for you, is he said, my righteousness, I am putting that on you. And I am accrediting my righteousness to you. And then we are given life, a new life and a new law. And that new law is in the Spirit. So if we have been set free, if we are truly no longer captives, if we are truly free now in Jesus, why do we choose to continue on in sin? What is it in our life that we can't quite grasp, that we can't quite figure out, that it seems like no matter what, when presented with the right choice, or with the choice of the world with the narrow path, or with the wide path that leads to destruction, why is it that we always go down the path of destruction. I don't usually walk around with handcuffs 
in my pocket, but I did it this morning. Uh, we have a police officer in our church who's out of town, so I borrowed these from him this week. His name is Kevin, and so uh, I also don't own these. So um, if any of your kids start acting up, you can't borrow these, okay? Before we know Jesus, it's kind of hard to cuff yourself. I'll figure this out eventually. There we go. Nice and captive now. Before we know Jesus, we are captive in our sin. We are condemned because our sin condemns us. We need to be set free. The problem is we cannot set ourselves free from our sin. We need somebody to come along with the key to do that. That person is Jesus. When Jesus took the cross, when he died for our sins, he made a way so that we could go from captives to free people. So I do not have the key for these right now, so I need you to start praying that these will open up. <laughs> I'm just playing. Jacob has the key. Jacob's going to be Jesus today. I put these on the wrong side. John, I should have got your help this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Boom. Flawless. Just one broken wrist. Thank you, ma'am. Captive. But when I come into contact with the gospel and I realize there is a way out of these handcuffs and I put my trust and my faith in Jesus and I ask him for the forgiveness of my sins, knowing that he made a way for me to be forgiven on the cross, and I make him the Savior of my life. I make him the Lord of my life. Lord can be translated into master, which means I follow him. That means I am no longer condemned. I am no longer held captive by the weight of my sin. But what do we do? It's like we don't quite realize that Jesus died for us once and for all. I think we get something in our heads that says, well, everyone else is doing it, so maybe it's okay if I continue to go on sinning. It's like we get this idea that maybe I just need to manage my sin better when what God said to do to our sin was to die to it. So we have been saved, we have been forgiven, and we find ourselves back in the same old cuffs that Jesus just set us free from. In Revelations, it says that like a dog returns to his vomit, man returns to his sin. And so here I am again, in addiction, in captivity, Across this room, that could be a lot of things. 83% of the men in the church, based off a statistic I read recently, are addicted to pornography. Maybe this is your captivity. 32% of the women in the church, based off that same statistic, are addicted to pornography. Maybe that is your captivity. Maybe it's an addiction to sex. Maybe it is an addiction to substances. Maybe it is an addiction to alcohol, to tobacco. Maybe it's an addiction to who knows what. Maybe it's negativity. Maybe it's living a life without hope. Maybe it's living a life vomiting your complaints and your overwhelmingness and the stress and the anxiety in your life on other people instead of handing that over to Jesus. Maybe you're trying to fix that yourself. Every time we try to get out of these constraints on our own, it's not going to happen. So again, we go to Jesus. Jesus, forgive me. I promise I will never do this again. I will never sin this sin again. If you will just forgive me, I will be set free. And for real, this time, I mean it.
All right, that one's out. <laughs> Thank you so much. Boom. So good. And then what happens? We live a little bit more life. We have a little bit more experience, and we fight this sin just a little bit more. And then eventually we realize that we're doing this in our own strength because something still hasn't clicked for us when it comes to us being forgiven, no longer condemned, no condemnation, and being set free, and we get some free time. So with me right now, let's do a little inspection. What, where does your mind go when you get some free time? Does it go to you? Does it go to selfishness? Does it wander back toward that sin? Does something trigger it in your life? We're forgiven by Jesus. He's full of grace. We can go to him an unlimited amount of times. But as believers, there's something different in accidentally living life and sinning along the way. And there's a major difference in living life and planning to sin. And maybe we're doing really good for a long time. And then out of nowhere, we see something. And it triggers us. And we fall right back into that same sin. We go right back to that same old website. We pick that same old bottle back up. I don't know what it is for you, but we return to our vomit. We return to captivity just like we were set free from the first time, just like we said we would never do again. And I want you to hear me here. There is grace, and there is forgiveness in repentance, but there is freedom in Jesus. Jesus, come set me free one more time, bro. I swear. <laughs> this is the last time. Man, we're getting faster. John, you might have a jailer for you here too long. Perfect. Thank you, man. I think, yeah, I'll, I'll keep that. Thank you so much. I think the thing that is missing in our lives, the reason we keep returning to sin, is that we do not believe that we are no longer condemned. We do not believe that we are set free. But when you realize who you are in Jesus there's an identity change. Your third point today is there is an identity change. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. If you are in Jesus and you are here this morning, guess what? You are a new creation. I don't care what you did in the past. I don't care what your family thinks about you. I don't care what your friends in high school, middle school, elementary school Maybe you were the weird kid at recess who picked your nose and ate your boogers. I don't care what those people think about you either, all right? You are set free. It doesn't matter what you have done. There is freedom in Jesus. You were washed clean. You are white as snow. You are made new. When we come into relationship with Jesus, when we receive forgiveness for our sins, we go from sinner to saint. 1 Corinthians 1-2 says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, those becoming more like Jesus in Jesus, called to be saints together. Church, it's not just to the church of Corinth. He's addressing the church as saints. He's addressing the church of broken people who have been forgiven because of Jesus, because of the gospel. And he is not saying, hey, sinners, listen up. No, he's calling them saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Ephesians 2.19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members 
of the household of God. You see that there's major life change when it comes to an identity change. There are two lives that we can live when it comes to the life we find ourselves in. When it comes to being approached with the gospel, we have a decision to make. God is calling us into relationship with him. We have a choice. Are we going to follow this life in the spirit? Are we going to follow this life in the flesh? We're going to finish out in Romans 8, 5 through 11. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on, on th- things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So what we see here is there is a shift. There is an identity change. When we identify as not condemned, we identify as free from sin. We identify as living in grace. And when we identify in these things, when we receive that as our identity, we set our mind to the things of the Spirit. And our actions, and what we do in life, and people in our domains, our actions are based out of who we believe ourselves to be. So, who are you? You are a son. You are a daughter of the King. You are no longer a saint in Jesus. Whoa! Whoa! You are no longer a sinner. It's a good thing I caught that. That would have been a bad clip. (laughs) You are no longer a sinner, but you are a saint. And I want you to know that you are worth it. I think so much of who we view ourselves as, so much of our identity comes out of the value and the worth that has been given to us by other people. And I want you to know that you are worth it. You are worth it to the point of God sending his one and only son to die on a cross for you so that you could be put in right relationship with him, so that you could be forgiven, so that he could walk right beside you, so that he could have you back from the flesh and he could give you the spirit. When we believe who God says we are, it changes things in our lives. And because there's an identity change, we no longer live life in the flesh. Life in the flesh is setting our mind to things in the flesh. In the flesh is death. This means that we are hostile to God. We don't submit to God because we can't submit to God, and we cannot please God because we are living outside of his will, outside of his design. And in the flesh, there's no spirit, and there's no Jesus. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 puts this very practically for us. So if you are a practical person, and you're trying to figure out in your head right now, Am I living in the flesh? Well, as we read this, start a checkbox. 
Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. When we live in the flesh, we set our mind to things of the flesh. When we set our mind to the things of the flesh, the flesh becomes our action, and the fruit of the flesh becomes what we bear as a tree. I think that's why 2 Corinthians 10.5 said, this is why we need to take every thought captive. Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus. I grew up when the internet was invented. Thank you, Al Gore. Okay. Maybe you were there with me. Maybe you've had the internet your whole life, and you're like, man, this is kind of magical. I'm still trying to figure it out. It doesn't make noise when you start it up anymore. It doesn't go, eh, 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 boing, whenever it's ready to be used, like a toaster oven. I, I don't know, maybe that's just my toaster oven. But in the early days of the internet, think back with me. Um, because I was young, because I was growing up, my brother's here with me today, we would play a lot of games on the internet. We'd go all kinds of crazy websites, and we would play these games, and as we were playing these games in the background of what we were focusing on, it would be pop-up window, pop-up window, pop-up window. And I'm talking like 200 pop-up windows by the time we get done playing this game for like five minutes, okay? Think about that. That is our lives in the flesh. That is our minds when we set our minds to things of the flesh. There's all these things coming in and out of our head. There's all this information that we have to discern. And not every thought that enters into your head is from you. Some of it is you, certainly. Some of it could be the enemy. Some of it could be your flesh. Some of it could be the world. Some of it could be God. Some of it could be him speaking to you in the spirit and him trying to guide you in your life. So we have to make, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. When we do that, we set up a pop-up blocker. Now, we didn't have pop-up blockers. You remember when you used to have to pay for those things, like $15 or whatever, and maybe it came with like a little CD that said AOL on it at a, the grocery store? A lot of you guys are lost, and that's okay. All right? <laughs> Just a trip, nostalgic trip down memory lane right now. We need to install a pop-up blocker. We need to take every thought captive. We need to make it obedient. Jesus, is this from you? I do not want to live in the flesh, so I don't want to think in the flesh. So take this from me. Make it obedient. If it's not obedient... Get rid of it. And because there is an identity change, we operate in the Spirit. And life in the Spirit is when we set our mind to things of the Spirit. The Spirit is life. The Spirit is peace. And when you are in the Spirit, God dwells in you. And you are alive through the Spirit. The Spirit practically can be seen in Ephesians 5, through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things, there is no law. So believers in here this morning, you are no longer condemned. You are set free, and your identity has been changed. Live in that identity. Live in the Spirit. Set your mind to things of the Spirit. And for those of you who are here today and you have not entered into a relationship with Jesus, you have not asked him for the forgiveness of sin, that means that the life and the, of the spirit of the flesh is the only one that is ahead of you. And so today, I want you to know that God loves you. God loves you so much, again, that he sent his one and only son to die for you. That is your worth. That is your value. And there is freedom. There is forgiveness. And there is no condemnation 
in Jesus and his work on the cross for you. All it takes is asking for forgiveness, making him Lord of your life, following him. If that's you today, you want to take that next step, Jacob already showed you we have the, these connect cards. There's a little place on the back of it so that I, I want to know more about a relationship with Jesus. Let's get together. Let's talk about that. Let's get coffee. Let's discuss what life out of the flesh and life in the spirit looks like for you. Let's talk about your next step with Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. and We thank you that in you we are no longer condemned. We thank you that in you we are set free. Help us to realize that there is an identity change, that there is an identity shift because of you setting us free. And Father, help us to walk forward in the Spirit. For the people in here that have been living life in the flesh, that have yet to walk in relationship with you, Father, I pray that you would call them into relationship with you today that there would be a realization of their worth, of their value in Jesus and what he did on the cross for them. That they would realize that forgiveness is theirs through the work of Jesus. That a Lord, that a Savior is ready to walk through life right beside them. And Jesus, for the believer in here that spent a lifetime with you, I pray that this life that is life in the Spirit and life that is obedient to you would be a life that we live, that we live together as a church, and that we wouldn't just live it inside these walls of this school, but that we would actually take it out of this church as a building, and we would be the church as a body where we find ourselves throughout this week. Help us to live in the Spirit. Help us to walk in the Spirit. Help us to love you, Jesus. Help us to love others. In your name we pray. Amen.